Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to this free episode of Nunkdown. Want every draft scouting report, every off-season team preview? You can subscribe to Dunkdown Prime with our mock off-season sale at dunkdown.supportingcast.fm. Not only will you get those episodes, you'll get every episode Nate and Danny do, my daily dunks, Seth Partnow's written analysis, our cap sheets. Be fully prepared and informed on the offseason. And of course, you'll get the mock offseason where we go through and simulate what's going to happen this summer. I found that very instructive over the years, and you'll get access to that full episode. Want all that? Dunkdown.supportingcast.fm. Dunkdown.supportingcast.fm. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Finishing up uh, our week here, late Pacific time on Thursday. And we're going to talk first uh, about Arkansas guard Anthony Black. And of course, uh, every time I hear that name, I can't think of anything but the Camp Krusty episode of The Simpsons where they just put in the name Mr. Black whenever uh, they discuss uh, who's running the camp. But tell us, Danny, about Mr. Black. Anthony Black, um, measure. Uh, do you want me to start with bio or measurements? What do you find more fun? Uh, well, I, I guess we can get to all of it. Okay, let's start with the bio then. Uh, grew up in Texas, um, was a five-star recruit, chose Arkansas over Gonzaga, the Ignite, and others. Was on the um, FIBA Under-18 Americas Tournament, and I saw him at the 22 Hoop Summit. And chose Arkansas, was a part of an interesting team coached by Eric Musselman, who has experience at basically every level of coaching, including the NBA a lifetime ago with the Warriors. And Black's measurements were interesting in part because they defied some expectations. Uh, six, five and three quarters without shoes. So I would say that's six, seven with shoes, um, but a six, seven, five wingspan. And there were some who thought that his wingspan could be as big as seven feet. That is a pretty massive difference between those two uh, measures, 210 pounds, eight, six and a half standing reach. And this will be Black's age 20 season, his rookie season, but he'll be a very young rookie. He's he's one of the people who's just just unfortunate. He's just be, just before the cutoff, which means he'll be a young 20 um, for the season. In terms of pure measurements, Black is a vastly superior athlete to these gentlemen, but his physical comps are weird. Um, the two that seem the closest from measurement standpoint are Kenrich Williams and Corey Kisper, um, actually not that far from old friend Nick Stauskas from those measurements. And that that set of players is surprising in the sense that sometimes Black plays larger than those measurements, but I always thought that the idea that he had a seven-foot wingspan when I watched him play in person seemed a little bit overstated. Yeah, definitely. You don't necessarily see that from him, uh, but he does put what wingspan he does have to excellent effect in he does. terms of blocks and particularly steals, as we'll talk about. Let's get to the physical profile first, finish that out. The wingspan is, he really is still kind of more guard size, like good size for a two-guard, 
but particularly because he's not like the thickest guy like i'm sure he'll get stronger like everybody but he's not a guy i think where you're like ah this is he could easily guard one through three if it's a three who can actually do something with the ball i think he'd be a little thin there maybe not quite enough length not just absolutely elite quickness moving his feet although i think it's good uh i think his quickness is maybe a little bit better in a straight line than it is going side to side laterally so that's kind of what i think of him from a size standpoint and then as an athlete very very good especially for the type of player that he is as we'll talk to who uh has point guard skills he can get up basically from a standstill under the basket and dunk off of two feet with two hands he can go get alley oops if needed uh he can come down the lane again not the maybe not the biggest hands not the biggest wingspan but he can take off off of one foot from near the dotted line if there's nobody in front of him uh, so he's not i wouldn't say he bounces off the ground extremely quickly but with the chance to load up a little bit uh he can get up there pretty well so not an absolutely elite nuclear amen thompson style of athlete but i would say maybe in the next class down from and as you mentioned like you could see it in different facets of anthony black's game um i thought you noticed his athleticism more on defense than on offense which is somewhat common especially for somebody who isn't as dynamic with the ball in their hands like who doesn't have a tight handle um and so for black the he has a lot of those physical elements at least in part and i do think al i'll save that for later um but you know so from a physical standpoint if we're you know focusing on that more than some elements of the film i think he could conceptually guard the one the two and the three however the outlier great players at the one and the three could pose the problems just because there's so much more athletic in different ways like speedy point guards or super powerful threes like those guys could be it but especially if you're if you have somebody else in your system that can take some of those tough assignments then black can can fit in well and then he can take on some hard ones too just as long as they're not like the john morants of the world well let me ask you this uh, what aspect uh, of his game i believe this pretty open-ended were you most impressed by the steals film like so at the end i watched just his steals i don't think i watched all of them but there were i think it was roughly 70 on the season and it was a mix of some really good effort plays there was one of my favorites was um after it was an arkansas free throw the opponent got it and black just snuck behind him and knocked the ball out for a steal something you very rarely see at like in college film or of course in the pros also oh yeah yeah and actually if if you hold that thought for a second similar one that i saw uh, he tries to like go for a passing lane ste- steal on his man at a pass to his man almost out near half court misses it the guy who he was guarding drives to the basket dumps it off to the big and anthony black who just was like basically ran past half court trying to get this steal sprints back into the play and bothers the big that the guy passed it to underneath it and gets a stop it definitely uh, no college freshman is going to have like just a kevin garnett motor but i really was impressed uh, uh, overall with uh, a lot of uh, the efforts that he made uh, so I, I think that was definitely something that stood out to me yeah as and, well. and black also had a number of steals on inbounds which was which was nice I mean just being active and, and like e- either the, guarding the TJ McConnell steal 
the TJ McConnell steal, and then uh, the game I like a game I watched in full for Black, in part because Nick Smith didn't play one of their other backcourt guys. Um, I wanted to see Black with the ball in his hands more. Uh, he had he swung the game on a huge set. I think it was early in the second half. He had consecutive pick sixes. So I mean, you think about how that how that swing can work, and so yeah, those those elements kind of changing possession, and that ties in with one of the well. So, so the, let me I can add a little bit more on the steals too before you move on. I think he really had a, a great knack for. Or digging in one pass away he did a really nice job as a help defender he's a guy who just shows up defensively in places that the offense does not expect him to be uh he also has pretty good hands on the ball got a few steals that way as well and he has enough what he could load up where he can even make some plays as a rim protector so just his overall team defense help instincts all of that and then being able to back that up with pretty good acceleration pretty good hands uh yeah he was definitely a force i I was very impressed by it one other defensive highlight from black it was a block not a steal but he had a transition block against kentucky i think it was in the other game against kentucky where he is in transition kind of running with the guy with the ball and then two hand blocks it partially from behind it was a less like awe-inspiring version of the block that bam Adebayo did in the finals i think that was like game three where he caught the guy from behind i think in bam's case he made the turnover which black did not do in this case but it was like you know that the applied athleticism going after it hard staying with the guy like there were elements of that that i really really liked and i will note though that in part because he's thinking about help defense a lot there's a part of there's an element of it for me with black for now and you know young guy 19 years old who he does some of the matisse thibel stuff where what i mean by that is at times he's a better defensive playmaker than possession by possession defender and mm-hmm. that that is both a good thing and a bad thing it is a good thing because steals and blocks are extremely important and steals you know they change possession and you get a transition opportunity but if you're sacrificing you know like so there are times where it's like he's not where you expect him to be however in the nba he's going to be guarding somebody who can make the pass that he is allowing to happen by by digging down as hard as he is particularly on kind of the weak side because nba players are better at making that cross-court pass he will change the calculus you know like that is something like black will his coaches will be like if you leave that pat if you're leaving that pass up but you better be sure that you can get the block or at least cadaster something else but i wanted to note that because it was something that stuck out to me in the film is that it's he has a nose for the ball but sometimes that nose leads him away from his his actual assignment yeah, but I still would rather that that and, and you could get him to kind of calm down on that a little bit. You'd rather sure. that he has that that instinct. Uh, uh, to answer my own question about what most impressed me, just to the overall feel for the game uh, for a guy uh, who's athletic like this, uh, but also uh, this young, you know, you just don't see that very often. And uh, that extended to the offensive end as well. He just makes a lot of smart plays, turns it over a fair amount, but he played a, a fair amount of point guard, used his size, I thought through some pretty impressive passes particularly considering the situation which was that arkansas's bigs were pretty useless offensively uh, they finish around the rim and sometimes they even struggle with that and then they had maybe like one three-point shooter on the floor uh most of the time particularly when nick smith wasn't available and so but he threw great passes to the weak side to their one shooter or if they ever i don't know why teams ever did this but if they ever put two on the ball on him and pick and roll he was able to pick up his dribble pass fake find the roll man it just had a great understanding of where everyone was on the floor he only averaged about four assists but i think he's you know if he had had been a different situation maybe he could have averaged a little bit more because he is a, a very solid 
pure passer, drew a ton of fouls. Also, he's just got a lot of that Austin Reeves type of game where he sees that the guy is about to be kind of out of position and will just decide to shoot it and throw his body into a guy who's not in legal guarding position. So got there are plays, especially going left, where the referees just wouldn't give him that call. And he might actually get that call more often in the NBA. But it was you could tell that he just had a good understanding of how to draw fouls. That's something that really uh, was important to him. And we mentioned uh, the defensive intelligence also. So just a a really smart, heady player, uh, particularly given uh, his level of experience. What concerns me a lot about Black, and I think I'm going to be lower on him than most, is a basic theory of the case, as much as I agree with like all, all but his feel and all that type of stuff. And that is, I don't trust him as an on-ball player. And Black had that rep, you know, as a high school player in Texas. And, you know, he was doing some of that at the Hoop Summit. But to me, he doesn't have the handle. And more importantly, in some ways, he doesn't have the jump shot to really put that fear. And the threshold in the NBA is incredibly high because, you know, you have even if you're saying like the top two creators for a team, starter reserve however you want to define it like there it takes a lot to be to be that type of player and many great college performers great high school performers don't reach that threshold and so from from a jump shooting perspective black shot um he only took 37 pull-up threes on the season he made 27 percent of them and um he was 10 or 37 and then 41 percent on pull-up twos so teams i thought teams gave him too much respect you know like they should have gone under harder on him in the way sort of like what some of the ote teams did against Amon thompson and then in terms of free throws shot 70 percent on 5.3 game that 5.3 game is very good but the percentage there and so there are players throughout time who can succeed on ball without being a great shooter and i can get into the mechanics later but i wanted to give you a chance to talk there are players who can do that but it's asking a lot you know like We've seen Markel Fultz do it. We've seen other players do it in the past, but they need the other things to be better than they are. But I want to start with the jump shot. Yeah, it's... And it's not simply the results. I think we've seen no. fr- freshman point guards who will kind of struggle like this, uh, you know, maybe not able to hit a three when the defense goes under. And you, you think, hey, this guy's pretty coordinated. Like, you know, maybe he- he'll figure it out eventually. But it's not only the lack of results at this point in time, but what I think is going to be a pretty fatal lack of versatility because of the shot mechanics that he has. I, I think I actually expect that with time and space on a catch and shoot that he will actually make shots well enough like the arc is actually okay but he just he shoots it from the middle of his chest kind of a little bit to the left side of his body and it just it's unless the defense just goes so far under uh, and you know he doesn't really have like much step back game doesn't have like elite wiggle to get a ton of space to get that shot off but and it's really it doesn't really shoot any kind of a jump shot at all it's it's a set shot and so i could see him maybe hey you throw the ball right at him right in his chest right in his shooting pocket he can maybe speed up his mechanics a little bit speed up his shot prep and actually make wide open three-pointer like I, I think that's something i believe he'll be able to get to do in time at a passable level i just don't think that shooting on the move off the dribble rising up from mid-range is just very very difficult with the way that he shoots the ball black also has some weird stuff with his lower body that i caught as i was watching a lot of catch and shoots in sequence where his legs aren't not only aren't like facing necessarily always facing straight at the basket but the width of his legs when he takes off 
off is not consistent at all. I firmly believe that a, a shot doctor like can fix that over the course of a year or two. Like it, it's a correctable problem, but that also is a part of why his release is so slow because he's kind of settled, settling himself. It's part of why it's more of a set shot. So with with jump shot surgery, with a lot of hard work, I think it can get better. And like you, I'm more confident in the set shot jump shot than I am in a pull up shot. But I talked before about how that raises the standard if you were to be on ball that you need for everything else. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium 
slub crew tee, the no BS high rise pant, the slim roughneck pant featured in Giant Magazine issue two. Every American giant piece is made in America and designed to last, no exceptions, and it provides year round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finger code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American Giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. I think that Black is a good passer, at times veering towards great, but not anywhere, to me, anywhere close to elite. I'll get into one of the beefs I have with a comparison I've heard for, for Black a fair amount later on. But the other part of it is his handle. And there are times where Black can do something in sequence, like there were a couple where he like he did two moves in a row, got a little bit of chain, but it didn't really create a ton of separation. It was a lot of sound and fury that didn't signify a whole lot. And so he does a lot of his best work through straight line driving. And that's just not going to be as fruitful in the NBA, not only because the defenders are better, but because the like on ball, but because the help defense is so much more present. And even though Arkansas had horrendous spacing, he was facing, you know, SEC overall college rim protection, which is significantly worse. And so there is a pathway absolutely to black getting better at that element and becoming good enough. But if we're comparing him to where some of the other limited shooter, good handle, good physical tools guys were who eventually got there like Markel Fultz, they were much higher in these elements. And that's what gave them the latitude to fail in a key part and still succeed, at least in part. Yeah, I I agree with you that just overall the magnitude of the other skills beyond the jumper just isn't quite great enough to where I predict you're going to want to be putting the ball in his hands as the primary guy. And you, you mentioned, I, I think like if he's going to run pick and roll, like maybe that could work out okay against like a drop coverage because I think his floater may get there. You know, that might be a shot that he's able to make or he can really accelerate. And I don't think he's going to be like an absolutely elite finisher, but I think he could be decent potentially. You know, that's uh, draw some fouls, uh, get just to make some plays with his intelligence. But I don't see how he's going to really beat switches with a switch defender who has much in the way of competence and you mentioned the handle yeah he's got a few moves he's got like a like a push crossover he's got more of like a looping crossover but that's kind of about it you know maybe you could say some changing speeds could help him some because as i mentioned i think he's quicker accelerating in a straight line than he is going side to side both offensively and defensively but then not having any kind of jump shot as well and then even the passing right like josh giddy is someone that he has compared his game to i have a couple of different comps uh certainly black has a lot more athleticism than giddy around the basket uh but giddy is a better straight line athlete than lateral i think black is still solid laterally whereas giddy is atrocious but giddy i think his jump shot it's not great and it still is a work in progress but i believe in like, there's nothing about giddy's jump shot mechanically that's just like so terrible where giddy can actually you know hit a few shots in the mid-range he's got a little more size as well than black does i think his giddy's floater game more developed uh at this point point. and then giddy to me is just an unbelievable passer whereas i would say black is very good but not just uh, whereas giddy to me is really pretty devastating in that regard and then you you could also get like a little post game i think giddy is maybe a better transition force as well so 
that's that's definitely a cop i think it's an important one and there are other guys like this i'm sure we'll talk about where limited jumper size on ball can pass you know, what about the scoring what about the finishing where you, there are degrees of all of these types of players and it's really the magnitude of the other non-shooting skills uh but uh, i think that really none well many of those are solid none of those wowed me to the point where it's like all right he's gonna be able to overcome the jump shot issue as an on-ball threat exactly and the the other reason that this becomes an issue and incidentally josh giddy and it was funny like as soon as i I started hearing the Giddy comparisons in part because Anthony Black has mentioned in interviews that he watches Giddy film and he in some ways models his game after Giddy. Which right. hey, if you're if you're going to be if you're kind of going to do what he does, Josh Giddy is a reasonable player to watch film of. But it, it was funny how it made me think like, oh, but Giddy's better at this, better at that. When I, as many know, I'm not the biggest fan of Josh Giddy in the first place. And yeah. the, the, the he and, has his own team building issues that he creates, and that's with being one of the best passers. Exactly, and so where that ties in with Giddy and Shea Gilders-Alexander is the much lower utility if he's off the ball. So if Anthony Black can't be an on-ball player in the NBA, at least with some regularity, he can do some secondary creation, I believe in that. And I think if the advantage is created for him, like you could think about the churn, Quinn Snyder's churn, or or just playing alongside a great lead, lead creator, then some of that stuff looks a lot better and he's going to be guarded by weaker players and all that. But the thresholds raise for every other element of your game. If you're not going to be on ball then you have to be great you know like jump shooting ideally especially with a versatile jump shot that is a clear negative for my brought up the shooting on ball well catch and shoot numbers are in some ways even more dispiriting 18 of 38 that's 31 percent on catch and shoot threes and the i think the mechanics in many ways are, are equally bad if not worse uh, relative to where most guys are on the catch and shoot for now as we said we think that can improve and then some of the other things i think black can actually do pretty well his feel applies to being a cutter and i think those elements will hone the less time he spends on ball just because somebody who thinks about the game and who can read things well will get that timing right and i think you'll see more of him in transition his offensive transition mode was a little bit hit and hit or miss but when that becomes one of your most important things that you do to help your team then i fully expect that to improve but a player you know needing to do all those things and you know not being able to shoot particularly well at least in the early days you better be an elite defender you better be an elite off ball player and like you could even compare like i love bruce brown and bruce brown is a is has developed a really nice career he was just a valuable player on a championship team the reason that bruce brown has had you know bounced around between different spots is that there and i think brown is in many ways a better version of this player right now he's a better version of this player right now than black is right now but whether you know in time it's hard to tell because you need to do all these other things well and you also need the right surrounding talent to make it work while also not being so good that a team is going to make sure the surrounding talent around you works does that make sense no it does and i think you're just we can kind of get into i think we've do you have anything else to say just about like your observations on his game or should we keep kind of talking about how he how he fits in and, and how we see him overall 
he had a couple of truly scary misses on catch and shoot shots, like an airballed corner <laughs> three. I wrote all caps, yikes. And then he had a jab step three that just hit backboard. And I was like, oh, man, like th- those sorts of things that give you that give you a little bit of pause. And and then I brought this up a little bit. Um, His screen navigation needs work. I think that Black, sort of like Asar Thompson, has the capability of being better there, but just hasn't, you know, needs the reps and coaching and, and all that. But the idea that like, I'm sure there will be people with the sales pitch, and I'm sure his representation will do this, where it's like, oh, he can step into a rotation right now with his defense and his field. It's like, no, nah, it's gonna probably it's probably gonna take a little bit of time because almost no rookies come in as positive defenders, particularly on the perimeter. Yeah, and he's to me, he's more of a turn and run alongside a guy type of defender than a I'm gonna just cut you off and stone you with my lateral movement. And, and he sure. can still bother guys that way, and he still competes, and he's got decent size uh, and length. But yeah, he's I think. He's going to have to get stronger to to really be that that kind of stopper type of player. But he's pretty young. That's obviously something that that can happen. And there are so many aspects of his game that I enjoyed watching. That I and I'm not even going to say, oh, this guy is like not a top ten style of prospect. Like when you have the ball handling and passing skills that he has, and pretty smart, plays hard, pretty good athleticism. Like that's that's a player that could definitely be. A, in that lower end of the top 10 traditionally these are my the two guys that came to mind for me on him were lonzo ball and dyson daniels i think he's a kind of a similar athlete to lonzo probably a better two foot leaper definitely a better finisher and foul jar but doesn't have the shooting ability even that college lonzo did not to mention the uh, what he eventually developed into but then uh, daniels so he's kind of got like dyson daniels shooting and uh lonzo balls and i think he blacks a little bit better as an on-ball defender at least early on than Lonzo as well but that I saw a lot of Lonzo's game uh in black and then maybe a little bit of Dyson Daniels as well I think if you go back to Lonzo he never should have gotten number two but he's a guy who could have been you know sort of lower end of the top 10 I think Daniels he, I don't think uh Anthony Black's gonna have Fred Vincent necessarily to help him out who uh, knows he so might <laughs> yeah maybe uh I, I it seems like they already have Dyson Daniels though uh and th- but Daniels also I, there's nothing as mechanically wrong with his jumper as there is uh, i would say for uh, anthony black i i have another one and there i'm not saying it's an apples to apples because i like black's defense more than this guy but when i was watching the offensive film i thought about Jarrett culver and what i mean by that is somebody who he had the on-ball juice as a younger player and at times but then as the talent level went up he just didn't have it you know like he couldn't do it relative to his competition so leaned more on the jump shot culver had that weird two-year college career where he shot him one year and then didn't the other and then just had to find it a little bit and you know i think the black will have a better nba career than Jarrett culver did but it is a reminder that non-elite guards who can't shoot have a really tough road to be valuable nba players he's smart enough that he's going to have a solid career i I still think of a floor of him as being a, a a third guard who can come in at either guard spot and like he'll be a really good part of the team. Do you like coaches are going to really like him other than the shooting aspect that like, he's going to have, I think, a good career. It's hard for me to think of a guy who is this level of intelligence, pretty good athlete, some skills. It's just a question of, hey, are you drafting this guy to come in and start and be a guy that you're is going to be regularly handling the ball for you and initiating offense? That I think the answer to that 
to me is no. And so I actually don't have that many questions about what I see Anthony Black ultimately being. I think, you know, the jumper, like the standstill catch and shoot and the floater are kind of the two big variables in my mind. And of course, you know, you never know. Guys always turn into stuff that's totally different than what you expect. But doing the best that I can right now, as opposed to say like an Amen Thompson where it's like, yeah, he has this crazy upside, but he's kind of all over the map. Like, I feel like I have a good understanding of where Anthony Black is going to be. I think he's going to be a solid NBA player, but also one who, as one of your main guys, just wouldn't, it's not going to work. So that's, that's still a guy who's you know, potentially worth drafting even at the bottom of the top 10 uh it's just and he is young enough that maybe some he could improve in some ways that we don't anticipate um anything you wanted to add to that there i'm a little bit lower in general i think there's possibilities of fourth guard you know like that the the I, i've been burned so many times on the guard who can't shoot kind of idea that i'm a little bit more wary but i i like black more than most of them so that that is a a positive for him um but so i'm probably I'm I wouldn't take him in the top 10 personally um not that I know like everyone in this class but but ju- just think I mean I don't know like you could like, I'm gonna some roll, of the guys I'm gonna go roll the, the dice 10. on a flawed wing-sized guy like a six seven six eight guy like you know like somebody who has like legit wing size and see see that just personally before black but I could see a team taking him like eighth through tenth and being really happy with it it's certainly a possibility yeah the, he just doesn't have the upside I think is is the biggest thing that you you would point to and yes as particularly at at when you consider a, you know what is it what is he as a point guard yeah it's just tough for me to see how he gets above you know 20th at his position if you're considering him point guard because of the shooting issues and if you you might want to say oh well, hey i'm in thompson he can't shoot either but he's really the size of like a true small forward has that type of length has that kind of strength he's not just a very good athlete he's a dominating athlete. and while i would say that his jumper is even uglier than anthony black's oh, is oh see i think yeah. i think a men's jumper is more projectable than than blacks personally well in terms of, like i would say maybe in terms of just like making a pull-up 15 footer but in terms of like floater touch and making standstill threes i would probably prefer black i don't think either of them are particularly amazing there but like black isn't this he'll push the ball i could hit ahead passes but he's not just gonna bear down on the rim and just cause panic the way i think that a men could like a man is just a guy who he gets out there on an nba floor and you're gonna see him hopefully on every possession with the level of athleticism that he has and i like anthony black is not quite at that level to me even though you know i really and i think a man could be amazing as an on-ball defender whereas black would just be kind of good and you know probably maybe even better as a help defender than a men thompson but it's just it's just a different level of athleticism and on ball juice getting to the basket finishing that's why you know i, I have those guys in different i'd also say men probably his passing is even more impressive but i mean the other problem with black's passing is just you can only unlock so much of it when you can't also score you know the the pure point guard is kind of dead when you can't this idea that you know you're just going to stand up there mo cheek style and like set guys up or whatever or rondo style like you got to be able to be enough of a scoring threat to unlock your passing to really have it met otherwise you're just kind of a you know alonzo s passer which is helpful but it, it but it's also not a foundation of an offense ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once, starting at $40 a month. 
Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. All right, starting to get to some news now as uh, Jake Fisher wrote a great piece. He's always all over what's going on this time of year. And so we got to get to a few of just the discussions, rumors, uh, and make sure that we're up uh, on all of that. And let's start with something we talked about yesterday, which was the idea of New Orleans potentially trading into the top three in the draft, potentially moving either Ingram or Zion Williamson. What Jake Fisher said is that the number two or number three pick in this draft would merely be the starting point to beat New Orleans' valuation of Williamson. My thought there, Danny, is... Okay, if that's your approach, you're just not going to be able to move that because simply, as we talked about yesterday, simply the fact that you are willing to move him means that the price is going to be lower. You're not going to be like, oh yeah, we want to move this guy and oh, but we're going to get the number two or number three pick in the draft and we're going to get more stuff too. Like, no, it's just not going to happen. So if that's their approach, I never thought it was particularly likely anyway, but my feeling is no chance he gets moved if they're really, if that's what their actual stance is. Agreed. All right, that was easy. Yeah, I mean that's 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 the way these the way these things go. Um, I would say so. In yeah, I mean yeah, if you have those kind of expectations, then you're open to it. And maybe another team makes a wild valuation decision, but but who the hell knows? And. Of, of kind of the other elements, one that I think is I think we could touch on briefly, but don't have to dwell on is the possibility that the the Bulls are listening is the way I would describe it on Zach Levine, who has four years remaining on that five year, two hundred fifteen million dollar contract that he signed. And I think of that as a negative value contract, even though Levine played much better in the second half of the season than the first half. And so the Bulls reportedly, according to Fisher, having a steep valuation on Levine makes it very very unlikely that he would be traded. However, there are teams that like Levine. It's it's possible. I'd say it's well under probable. Well, and it is interesting, too, that Bradley Beal, who is making 35% of the salary cap rather than 30, as Levine is with the commensurate raises every year, is almost certainly available right now. Fisher saying that multiple teams have indicated the Bulls are holding a steep valuation for Zach Levine that would exceed what Washington could get for Beal. Levine is younger. He would maybe make more sense for teams that aren't maybe ready to contend right away when they get him. I think he still is going to need to get some experience, some 
evolution, get better defensively. Whereas Beal, I think he, you could say maybe he has a little bit more resilient scoring game in the playoffs with his mid-range game and just has, has a history of being a little bit better defensively, even though he's had some bad times in his career when the Wizards have been bad. He also has had times where he actually has stepped up and really tried to defend. And, you know, I think if, if he's going to be your worst defender, you could do a lot worse, uh, frankly. So I, it's kind of weird. I think that if you're a team like the Miami Heat, maybe, and you're ready to try to win now with Jimmy Butler, Levine might have higher upside, but and the back end of the contract is probably worse for Bill because he's older. But I would probably rather have Bill just because I think in this upcoming season and maybe the season after that, I think he has more ability to contribute to a super high level of team. Although, again, that's your mileage may vary. One of the other reasons why conceptually a Levine return could be more significant is because he doesn't have no trade costs. And that's that's why you don't give a player no trade costs. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Another piece of trade scuttlebutt, um, the rumor that the Mavericks, this part of it is, seems almost certain that the Ma- Mavericks are considering options to move down from number 10. I think they would probably consider options to move out of that pick entirely for the right player. And it includes the possibility of like the idea of swapping number 10 and Davis Berton for John Collins in number 15. If the Hawks at any point expressed an openness to accepting that, you jump on it and you jump on it fast. Yeah, considering uh, the toxicity of Bertans, although I, he seems like a pretty likely stretch candidate to me, given that he has that small guarantee for next year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to move down from 10 to 15 to get to swap John Collins and Davis Bertans, that seems seems pretty good. Although that would almost in some ways acknowledge that Collins doesn't have the greatest value in terms of his contract uh, as well. Uh, just lots of talk of trading up, trading down. Don't need to get into this too much, but just a generalized understanding of maybe what teams might be trying to do that. You know, you've got Indiana, who have number seven, but also have 26 from the Cavs, 29 from the Celtics, and then 32 as well, that they're trying to package that to move higher into the first round, or maybe for players. The Pacers do have a fair amount of cap flexibility should they want to go that route. Uh, also talking about them looking for a starting power forward at number seven a couple of guys will be available there uh you know the and then utah also uh, with three first rounders 9 16 from the wolves and 28 from philly is that from philly yeah it's from philly it's from philly it originally went to brooklyn in the harden simmons trade and then went from brooklyn to utah for race o'neill that's right and so just uh, with the general idea of trying to move up in this draft Okay, you know, if it, it, we're not as familiar with the guys in the 7 to 15 range or, or whatever. But to me, and this is beyond not saying that, you know, a couple of late firsts are going to get you up into this range. But I the part of this draft that I like, there's three players that I think I would be really trying to move up for, which is, I, I mean, when Binyama, obviously, that's not going to happen. So it's Scoot, and then it probably would be a Men Thompson for me. I don't necessarily have Miller in that category. Not that I, I think Miller could easily be better than Scoot or a Men Thompson but I think that would require Scoot and Amen Thompson to not work out that well. Whereas I think both those guys have the higher upside. And as I've said many times, to me, the draft is all about those super high-end outcomes, even if they're not as likely. So 
if I'm moving up, the, I want to be able to get one of those three guys. Otherwise, I'm not. There hasn't been anyone that we've done below them that is like blown me away to the point where I'm like, oh man, this guy, oh, we got nine. Cam Whitmore is so much better at five that we need to move up to get him. I and mean, we'll see what else is there. But like, I didn't, I wasn't so blown away by any of the guys like Black as well as Jairus Walker, where I'm like, man, like we got to go get this guy. Like, I don't have that feeling about and those sorts of players. I I agree with your general premise, and that to me is why Orlando is the most compelling kind of potential catalyst here, because to me, 6 and 11 is a better kind of foundational package than like the three picks that Utah has where the best of those is at 9, because 6 and 11, like those could both be different maker difference makers, and and also because Orlando, you think about what the best version of Amen Thompson, the best version of Scoot Henderson is, that player moves the needle enough for them that I think it would be worth it. Generally speaking, Speaking historically, Donovan Mitchell is a notable exception. There are a few others. Tra- those like multi-pick moving up generally works out better for the team trading down. But to me, if you could get one of those two as Orlando, absolutely worth throwing those in. We'll do their offseason. Well, well so moving up into the top three, I think, is different than moving up from like, you know, to like the 10 or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like Luca is the the best example of that, of, of it working. I mean, there have been times when it hasn't worked out to, you know, Billy Owens is an example of that. If you want to go way back into the Danny well, and then there was archives. the Nurkic, Nurkic Harris. It was Nurkic Harris McDermott, right? Yeah, I mean that's the quintessential one. That was sixteen and nineteen for eleven, and the Nuggets hosed the Bulls on that one. A um, couple other options here to talk about, or, or uh, avenues to talk about. Pacers also supposed to be in the mix for Grant Williams uh, with this idea that they're looking for a power forward. The Denver. OKC trade, I think Hollinger was pretty persuasive that the reason that it hasn't been announced yet is so, because remember, the pick that's been traded is a 29. They're going to want, it's probably going to be protected. So you can't actually trade your 2030 pick because it, it wouldn't it would technically be 29. But if you wanted to also roll over to 30, you wouldn't be able to do that until the new league year when the seven-year rule would encompass the, the 2030 draft. So that's why we're probably not going to get that officially done. And John also thought maybe there could be an amendment on some of the protection that Denver owes the Thunder already because uh, they already owe them 27. So that that makes some sense. And then in uh, Boston, eh, Daniel Gallinari has opted in to uh, his player option. It's a little under $7 million, Not unexpected coming off the torn ACL. He certainly seems like a trade candidate if, if Boston is trying to trim the tax bill or maybe open up some exception money. Charlotte, Mark Williams had surgery on a torn ligament in his right thumb. I'm not sure whether this is something that he tried to rehab or maybe that he just suffered working out or something like that, but it usually ends up being kind of a six to eight week type of, of issue. Uh, so he's going to miss summer league, which is kind of too bad, but uh, hopefully should be good to go for so the season. We talked about Charlotte, and I, I mean, I think he's probably going to be their starting center next year. And then in Washington, Fisher wrote quite a bit about the Beal situation and the keynotes there, six and Boston not expected to target Bradley Beal regardless uh, in the Sixers case whether Harden remains with the team and then it's still it seems like we're really moving towards Porzingis picking up that 36 million dollar player option and then he could potentially be tradable as well as option deadline pretty early 621 so the day before the draft 
so he could be tradable in a deal at the draft even that's that's fascinating if if he would be available it is and and how you're setting yourself up so if he opts in then the team acquiring porzingis gets full bird rights and technically depend there there are some extended trade limitations that would be in place but the, remember those are loosening up too um in the new cba so there could be some avenues or he could just wait you know you'd have to, you'd have plenty of time to do it before he hit, would in that theory hit free agency in july of 2024 yeah and certainly if if he's at a point where he has to opt in a three-year deal with up to a, a starting salary up to 120 percent or three new years basically in the extension because you, you know the extended trade rules but just we'll, we'll go over these fairly regularly because it is a new cba now with the extended trade right away as soon as the guy gets traded you can extend him for four seasons including any seasons remaining on the contract so it'd be three new ones with porzingis having one left and then you could give him a starting salary at 120 percent of what he's making this year i don't even know if you command that but surely you would think given where he is right now now that he has to opt in he would be eminently extendable should they uh want to move him uh also this is something hollinger and i talked about yesterday that miami is kind of viewed as the obvious suitor for beal but they also might want to wait and see whether more attractive candidates become available but there isn't necessarily i don't think a, a huge rush to move on beal unless there's you would think it's going to involve draft picks for this season in which case the wizards would want to make those selections Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Are we ready to transition to a team? Yeah, let's talk about the Houston Rockets. We can hit some news again from Fisher briefly uh, before we get into it, that the Rockets' goal is going to be to, quote, spend money, acquire talent, and compete for the postseason under guidelines from Jalen Fertitta. Of course, as we know, they owe that top four protected pick from the Westbrook trade to OKC next year, so tanking much less of an option. The best they could possibly do, even if they had the worst record, was about a 50% chance of retaining their pick. And still unclear whether James Harden would return. I think if they offer enough money, maybe he would. And the Thompson twins worked out there. Fisher is saying that a lot of teams project the Rockets selecting a men Thompson, which I think would be good for them, even though he wouldn't be a clean fit. He's just a, a fantastic talent. And also doesn't seem like Houston has the ammo that would entice Portland to move down to four from three if Henderson is there or whether they could move up to get Henderson at two but they're definitely apparently looking for a point guard I want to start by asking you this Danny we know their cap situation about 60 million or so in 
space. They got enough money to do whatever they want to do. I mean, they could even, if they really were desperate, probably move on from Kevin Porter Jr. in some way and open up even more space if they wanted to get Harden at his max and also get another significant player. Like they would have the ability to do that. So, so by that, you mean stretching Kevin Porter Jr.'s 15.9 million over nine seasons because that would technically be allowed? Ah. That's possible. It would be on longer than Andrew Nicholson and Didi Lozada and um, that guy who was on the Celtics books forever. He's still there. Demetrius Jackson. Demetrius Jackson. Yeah. $92,000 a year. So anyway, didn't mean to sidetrack. This is what I wanted to ask you. Harden, you know, we don't normally point to the idea of uh, signing a a 34-year-old for a team that had one of the worst records in the league to to big money. Doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. There are just, you know, being better, getting the, the vibes of Harden coming back to Houston. He never seemed like a guy who was like, you know, that captured the soul of the fan necessarily. But here's my question to you. I, like, I get how you kind of have to take the draft aspect out of it for the next three years because their draft is pretty much locked up uh, going to OKC. I think 25, there's a, a swap that might be like top 10. There, pick, I want to say there is not a swap in 25. Uh Oh, wait, Houston outgoing. There, so. it, there is a, there is a swap. You're right. It's in the he, real GM has it on the other side of the ledger. But yes, there is one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have. But that is top 10 protected and then uh, that and that is that is correct but then houston can swap houston could swap for brooklyn's which actually is more palatable now potentially based on where things go and then 26 also goes to okc's top four protected so there's much less benefit to we're gonna be bad we're gonna chill for for a while let's uh, get some more good draft picks see who works out among our young guys that plan doesn't have a ton of benefit going forward due to their draft being locked up so this is this is my ultimate question though and it's better all things being equal to win more games in a given season anyway i mean i think you do have to but ultimately you should be thinking of these next three seasons the fact that you don't have your draft pick as a sunk cost to me the one question is what can i do this summer not that's gonna make us look uh, give up a worst draft pick next year not that's gonna make us a little more money not that's gonna save rafael stone's job but what can you do this offseason to increase the odds that the houston rockets truly contend again someday and does acquiring james harden fit into that that to me is the only question that i am concerned about even though i think they have many other concerns there Contending is a high bar, and I think that without massive improvement from Jalen Green, from Jabari Smith, from Shangoon, even like in addition, the level of Harden, I don't think that does it. And, and Harden's age, you know, he's 33 now and will continue to presumably take steps down. How steep those steps are is unknowable at this moment. And I think of Harden, you know, as being a challenging fit as the second best player on a legit championship contender. I was lower on the Sixers than most. And he would have to be, at least for right now, the best player on the Rockets. So I, I don't think that Harden answers it. And the the core challenge to me that the, well, so there are two, that Houston has to solve, whether internally, externally, or more likely a combination of the two, is who is going to be their offensive engine? Who's going to be creating those advantages and how can they get to at least above average, but ideally, you know, good to very good on defense? Like they have to reach, I, I mean, to be a real championship contender, I think you have to be at least good to very good on both ends of the four, ideally elite on one. And right now the Rockets are miles from both. So on offense, 
the optimist take for Houston would be Jalen Green could get there. Kevin Porter can get there. If one of those two guys or, you know, like a big boom from Ty Ty Washington or somebody like that, or you draft somebody at four slash wherever you end up at the draft, you do it that way. All of those are possible. And in the immediate, it's you could think of it as a sugar rush. Harden is actually the best player to get their offense to the level that it would need to be. Now, I don't think he gets you there at the same time that you solve your defense and everything else. But let's leave that aside. The problem for Houston offensively, externally, is I brought up the sugar rush idea with Harden that this year will be better than two years from now and so on and so forth. There is not a player available in free agency that solves that problem sustainably long term. I don't think Fred Vliet, Fred Van Vliet does it right now. And he's yes, he's 29. He's a little bit younger. I don't think D'Angelo Russell does that. We don't know if Paul and Connolly are even going to be on the market. So you could maybe get that player via trade, whether that's now or later. You know, you could get yourself in the Trey Young Derby or somebody else moving forward, or you get more information on Jalen Green on all these other things. But offensively, I actually think in some ways that's the harder fix because we know the caliber of player required to get that done. And Houston doesn't have that guy yeah and and it's really if you're going to win a championship they don't have a high draft pick coming they do have these ones from the nets that are unprotected from the Harden deal but the nets don't look like they're going to be awful anytime soon and again that's completely independent of what your team is doing if james harden were more of kind of a ball mover like someone who could set up other guys there's this idea of making your teammates better and that's had a lot of different interpretations over the year i think the years i think the first guy that you heard that about was magic and that's why he was better than mj because magic made his teammates better but making your teammates better is that hey i'm gonna get you a bunch of spot up looks because you can't create anything else or is it i'm going to make your life easier to score and so i don't necessarily think of that particularly for young guys who to some extent are going to need the ball i mean they're probably going to get a men thompson if it's not a men thompson it, i'm guessing it'd probably be brandon miller i i mean I, their job in the draft is pretty easy you just take whoever is still there at of four, those four yeah of, of those four guys or three more realistically and that's probably going to be a men thompson and a men thompson again is not he's not a great fit because he's just another kind of wild young guy who's athletic and needs the ball and can't really shoot that well this team has sucked at shooting but when i think of actually making your teammates better i think more of providing spacing when you're talking about young creators providing spacing for those guys to do something and so my thought like harden needing the ball all the time oh he's going to run pick and roll while jalen green spots up he's going to get jalen green some open spot up threes like that doesn't really okay yeah it'd be nice if he could learn to be a better spot up shooter but that's not going to get jalen green to an all nba level which i still think he has the capability of getting to well you know, i'll, and, I'll say and, i'll just as a quick addendum i think harden could be very good for their bigs so shangun yeah. and however we're counting jabari smith i mean if they're playing some time with jabari smith at the five and harden that could they could have some fun configurations there depending on who they get in the draft and, and everything else this team still doesn't have enough shooting to really unlock that stuff but there's some there's some lineups that could be pretty juicy in terms of running a high pick and roll with harden and jabari well and they would probably they would just need to acquire some more shooters which they probably would have the scratch to do to me i would rather go after porzingis than james harden so space the floor for all these guys at the five if you're gonna have a men thompson in particular a men thompson is an a, porzingis is a great fit with thompson and porzingis is 27 like he could three years from now he could in theory still be good he also gives you more room protection than they've had you could uh, hopefully you'd have enough athleticism at some of these other positions uh you know if you need to play uh jay Tate or a kenyan mark 
Martin, like Porzingis can space the floor for some for them, or you could play him and Jabari together, and hopefully Jabari will shoot it a lot better this year. And then you got Jalen Green and Amen Thompson being able to attack from the perimeter. Like that, that is a team that makes some sense. I think it would get you better this year, but it's not going to stunt. In fact, would help the growth of your young ball handlers as opposed to taking the ball out of their hands, which I really think is not necessarily what's I mean, if they sign Harden and they draft a Men Thompson, like a Men Thompson is just going to come off the bench all year. And that's that's going to lead to, and that is that is not what a guy who basically was playing quasi high school, as you like to call it, needs. Like he definitely needs some reps against NBA defenses, but he won't go crazy. So it's presumably they're going to have Kevin Porter or they might have somebody else. So, and Porzingis would come cheaper. You could get him. I mean, he is eminently gettable if he's going to opt into this player option, possibly. And he's young enough to hopefully contribute, or he might have trade well, value if he plays well for you. There's also the element if Porzingis opts in where you can always just get out of it if it doesn't work. Whereas with Harden, if you know, if, if you offer him the deal it's going to take for him to sign, then it's going to be potentially perilous a couple of years from now when the team is actually getting good enough. And the Rockets are extremely cheap right now. I mean, they have the only player on their books right now who's making more than 10 million in this season is Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen Green will eventually join him. But the challenge is if you're positive about some of the young guys, I mean, it's still a few years out, but Jalen Green's bump pay bump comes in 25. Shane Goons would be 25. Usman Garuba or Josh Christopher. I'm guessing they're not going to get that, but but they, it would come then if they if they have a good year. And then right behind that, you have Jabari and Tari Eason and Tate Washington, if any of those guys break out. So you have this window. And so with Porzingis, if he opts in, then you could re-sign him in 24 if you want. You could potentially get some buzz and go after him or other guys or something else. Whereas with Harden and like the other stuff, and it's part of the reason why I think that for Houston, spending this money on free agents is a mistake, is that you can almost never get them on one-year contracts. And so you're you're committing more to a hand that you're not sure how good it is yet. Well, they don't have any issues whatsoever for the 24-25 season. Sure. 25-26, I mean, they still would have plenty of room below the tax, you would think, even if they did have, you know, 60 million worth of contracts uh, on their books uh, going forward after this year. So, and, and I hopefully it wouldn't go beyond three years or so. I mean, I, I like, I get the idea of, hey, let's just get better this year. Let's try to like build a little bit more, but it's just, and I think the crawl, walk, run approach of team building is probably gets a bad rap sometimes but there's this idea that oh yeah we have a top four pick so we're just gonna get the guy who will get us to be better in 2023-24 that just doesn't like you just they don't have enough talent I don't think even to be a playoff team maybe they could kind of be around where OKC was this year a lot of it depends on much Harden has left to and who else they were able to sign but I mean I guess we do have to talk about just what it would cost for Harden and they have a lower opportunity cost in theory than Philly does but Philly to me at least needs Harden more next year than Houston does I mean are you three years 120 million that's like kind of in the area his max would be like 46 maybe you get a, another year on it it's just it's so distasteful to me I, I, I don't even I really just don't want James Harden to be on the team like he should stay in Philly for like a fan's perspective and and, and here's the other part of it so I, I think your general construction you know three 
three years, 120. That's that's I mean, I wouldn't even go that far personally if I ran the Rockets, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Is this okay? Houston finished the 22-23 regular season, 27th in offense. I firmly believe that adding James Harden to this team, I, I wrote about this a little bit, the athletic, that he raises full he raises your offensive standard, I think, more than some expect because with with Embiid and everything else, but like even the non-Embiid minutes, the non-max. Yeah, but what if they can't shoot though? That's the thing. Like yeah. I think back the old Harden who was an ISO machine, maybe, but this Harden, he needs to really be able to play spread pick and roll because he can't get to the basket and finish. And even the step back is not that amazing. But they, I, I you know, know, if you're putting Jabari and Jalen Green and Kevin Porter, like it's 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 imperfect. But I think they could yeah. they could put some stuff together. But here's and, and they here's won't the just kick the ball all over the gym exactly the way they they have been. That was a big right. reason why they suck. Yeah, last they year. were de- dead last in turnover percentage, dead last in effective field goal percentage last year. Well, they were 27th in offense. They were 29th in defense, and James Harden isn't fixing that at all. It is true that you can help your defense more cheaply, you know, and that's maybe part of the theory of them potentially going after Brook Lopez. They could do other things, but the you brought up the importance of spacing to understand what these players are offensively. Players like Porzingis are called unicorns for a reason. That's because there aren't that many players who help your spacing in the front court and don't completely nuke your defense. And so that's potentially the reason you're interested in Lopez. But I mean, Lopez is this is going to be, you know, his offseason when he's 35 years old. So he could help you right now, but not really solving it moving forward. That's your idea with Porzingis is compelling to me for that exact reason, among others. So you could get like it would be so frustrating to me if the Rockets, let's say they get Harden and Lopez, two players who would help them a lot right now, who also in some ways like step over players they have who I'm not completely sold on, to be abundantly clear, but they're not a part of the next great Rockets team because by that point they're going to even if even if you think that they're going to age better than most of their predecessors and so I just I don't understand the point of that if you're not you're not setting the table for anything because you're relying on them and then you can't anymore. yeah Lopez again seems a little a, a little weird now maybe you if you were going to sign Harden and sign Lopez and think that maybe you could trade them again, you know, that that would be interesting, right? Like, you just kind of use your cap space. Arbitrage. Graphics. Yeah, Jeremy Grant style. But again, it just a 34-year-old and a 35-year-old for this team, to me, just don't make a ton of sex. Well, and, and here's here's yeah. the other problem. It's very hard to get a player, especially an older player, on a contract when they were open to the open market and have it look so much better a couple of years later. It does happen from time to time, but especially it's, you know, a guy in his 20s like jeremy grant where also maybe they're like it, I, harden and brooke lopez are such known commodities at this point that if you're and you're not going to get especially brooke lopez with like a below more you know like with a cheaper deal it's not like he's like oh I, I definitely have to go to houston it's not like he i don't think he has family there it's not like they're going to be a great great team with him so the idea that you're going to do that and flip them it's it's it would be great like that is a wonderful best case scenario it's also unlikely now the name kyrie irving Mm-hmm. Up there. I would probably be more willing to go for Kyrie Irving for this team than Harden just because Irving is more comfortable as, as an off-ball guy. Like he at least shoots the ball and like he'll take a spot up. He's not as bad defensively as Harden. Certainly there's concerns about the culture and all that, but there's some concerns about James Harden as like your leader and best player, particularly uh, returning to Houston, given uh, some of his lifestyle proclivities. Um, I mean, this is, these are, this is the team basically in free agency. They can do just about whatever they want. Like, cause we talked about this, how who's going to get the most guaranteed money. Basically they have so much money that they 
could make an offer that could get them, I think, basically anyone on the board. Yeah, the the if they really who is to. going to who is going to sign the player, not not who the player is, like like I wrote about, but who is going to sign the player? It's either Bird Rights or the Rockets. Those are really the two options. And even a lot of these Bird Rights teams would not be able to afford to go to the level that the Rockets could. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet would be another one who would make a lot of sense to me. Like he is someone who can shoot the ball, play on or off the ball, good team defender, plays hard. By all accounts, a really good culture guy. Now, again, 29, undersized, probably not ready to really be there for this group when they're at the at the highest level. But he's someone who could play next to an Amen Thompson if they draft him, or certainly play next to Jalen Green and some of these other guys and help them push the pace a little bit, help them avoid turnovers, make shots. Like that's that's the sort of guy, like he actually to me would make his teammates better, but also not stunt their growth at, at the same time. But I think I'll Ultimately, my plan for them, particularly because, quite frankly, I really don't think they give a shit about PR at all, would be to sign Kristaps Porzingis and Miles Bridges. That would be what I would do if I were them. Bridges Bridges is more likely, even with these other issues, to be the arbitrage play. You know, the idea that you can improve his value over time and that he can help you. And also, Bridges, if we're focusing on the on-court elements, he does things that their other front-court players don't quite do you know he can he we talked about this when in the hornet section like he grew his on-ball role has been efficient even if his jump shot has never been consistent and can mesh alongside a lot of other configurations you can play him he'd probably be more at the three if you're playing jabari smith at the four but then you can play him at the four next to theoretically jabari or shangun i think he's a nice fit at the four next to alpern shangun and or porzingis if you're if you're doing that hypothetical as well those guys are young enough that they can improve and also you're making with those two a little bit more of a situational bet, which I think is compelling. And incidentally, teams could do with former Rockets soon of, yeah, this guy, you know, didn't quite do everything that we hoped, but maybe in our situation with our surrounding talent could do that. And so Porzingis has had opportunities with the Knicks, with the Mavs, with the Wiz, and he had his best season last year. But with Miles Bridges, I mean, the Hornets have been relevant at times, but they've also been sort of a tire fire at times. And so maybe there's more there and maybe the we can't be certain of this but maybe the year away changed the way he thinks about some things or maybe he would just had improvement that would have come in in his age 24 to like last year that we just never got to see um i guess yeah last year would have been his age 24 season so i you know if you're willing to take the pr hit i agree with you that that i hadn't thought about porzingis i had thought about bridges a lot and that would be and especially because you're probably not taking a player in the draft that conflicts with either of those two gentlemen just based on who we think the top four are yeah that would give you a lot of interesting versatility in the front court with shangun potentially porzingis uh bridges would probably play the three in your starting group but if jabari smith doesn't really work out then miles bridges could be your main four potentially as well you might at that point you could probably trade uh kenyon martin jr for something you might be able to trade jay sean tate um some other guys on a lower level that i might be looking at i mean well this isn't even necessarily lower level yet kind of just going in order they need more shooting i think like cam johnson is someone who's kind of been rumored to be a target there and that would make a lot of sense to me as well Um, uh, just uh, they need someone who is just going to be an absolute knockdown guy at the three. They they just have not had any kind of a three on this team. They've been playing just a lot of guys who are uh, not threes, can't shoot well enough for the position. And Johnson is one of the better shooters. And they still that would probably leave you a little bit light on wing defense 
potentially, but maybe a men Thompson would grow into that. Or you could, if you needed to, you could play Jay Sean Tate or you could play Martin possibly. Uh, Max Struess certainly could be a, a name there, but I think I, I like Johnson more with his superior size uh, playing the, the three. And then if you weren't going to go the Van Vliet route, like Gabe Vincent is kind of like a very poor man's Fred Van Vliet as just he can defend, hopefully make some shots, play hard, but is mostly going to be an off-ball guy for you, but can bring the ball up and run some offense for you a little bit. So if the kind of at the lower end of their shopping range, he would be someone I'd be looking at. I would be intrigued by Houston, depending on what they do above him as a TJ Warren reclamation team, because they could get some studio space, but also a vet that could be a part of it. I like Grant Williams potentially there as somebody who could be a kind of help set their defense. Yeah, I guess to me, like they have Jay Sean Tate and they have, uh, and they have Martin already. I, I think I Williams know that, is better than both of them. Yeah, okay, but but it's also I think I would still be trying to develop those guys strictly because they're cheaper. Like Miles Bridges would be enough of an upgrade on either of those guys as a different sort of player that I'm good with that. But I think, and then you also got Jabari Smith there too. I mean, that's the other thing. Like Grant Williams is coming in to be a backup, probably. Like that is it. That is a challenge. Yeah, the the yeah. you have enough minutes for all of them, but starting and closing games does matter. Like that, that's yeah. a fair point. Um. I actually think they could be, if some of their earlier targets don't work out, they could be an Austin Reeves offer sheet team. The problem is the Lakers will probably match that. Um, so, and they, they're going to want to do something else, you know, get a, a guarantee because they, they just, they don't have the ability to overpay him the way they could maybe with Cameron Johnson or Miles Bridges. Um, this is also someone that I think would be a really nice fit there that I might be willing to pay more than other teams would is just to bring back Patrick Beverly at something in, you know, or in the 5 million a year range. I mean, they'll have the room exception too. Maybe even I would even do one year at the room exception for him with a second year, non-guarantee or team option. He's 34, but I think he's had some nice effects on younger teams before. Veterans maybe get a little tired of his shtick, but he was even credited of being helpful in Chicago. And another guy who could play some point guard, defend, he doesn't hit shots as well anymore, but just a fiery presence, culture changer. He spent the bulk of his career in Houston so I, I think that would be one that would make sense for me also just to kind of if you're really trying to take a step forward next year as a leader but also still someone who could contribute a need on the floor we've heard murmurs about dylan brooks and while brooks could help their defensive issues by being someone who can take on the tough assignments which would make life easier on kpj and jalen green and, and all the other guys the him fitting with a team that doesn't have an offensive structure so far would be a huge problem maybe Imadoka will give them that offense structure but a let's say it's brooks kpj green that's a problem now maybe with the organizing of harden you could you kind of make some of that work but i i don't love the brooks fit with the rockets personally no i hate it Uh, i'm certainly that on ball defense and toughness is a need for this group but they don't need another dumb offensive player and particularly again you have to consider too the idea that they're probably going to be drafting a mentums and so just getting as much shooting as they possibly can to maximize him particularly early in his career is just to me incredibly important so yeah that i think that would be my prescription for them i don't expect either of those things necessarily to happen the porzingis bridges duo um hey you think eric gordon would come back that, that's uh and there's 
there's a little bit of talk of maybe making Jalen Green available, I would guess, to try to get higher in this draft. That hasn't been much buzz on that lately, so I'm not really sure. You know, if it was number four and Jalen Green, would you give that up to, if you could get to two and get Scoot Anderson? No, I don't think I would. Jalen Green has a lot of potential. Yeah. And again, I'm 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 less of a believer in him than I was at the draft when I really liked him, but and certainly you have to be worried a little bit by the fact that he only seems to play well in garbage time of the NBA season, but he still represents an out of a really high value talented player. So I think you and so does Amen Thompson. And I, I think that's the combination of those two, yeah. I think I probably would rather have those two than Scoot. Although we'll see. You know, Scoot could just be unbelievable, but Scoot is also a small, I mean, he's, he's a big point guard, but he's still a point guard. He's a small overall. So there is a limit on just how good you can be at that size if we're really talking about the absolute top level. Like, even like MVP equity. Yeah. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Spurs? Yes. And in, in some ways, San Antonio's offseason, even though they have some spending power of their own, is more straightforward in part because we know who they're drafting at number one, and that is Victor Wambanyama. That is who they should take. That is who they will take. Congratulations. We can move on. San Antonio also has the 33rd pick, and remember, I think they might have another second. Yes, they also have 44 from Toronto this year. And with the second round exceptions and all that type of stuff, we get into that. And so San Antonio sitting if you know with the with the projected draft pick depending assuming they keep zach collins who has that 7.7 million dollar non-guarantee which guarantees pretty early it's actually shortly after the draft and then trey jones because he made the starter criteria his cap hold went up um which is not a huge deal for san antonio but it's a deal well it also means his qualifying offer went, yeah, which is the biggest yes. Qual- qualifying bigger deal, offer so. went up cap hold goes up i i think if the cap hold is being more significant just because like they were going to pay him more than that anyway I, I presume on the next contract you know more than like six million or well, so well it's it is interesting too because they was particularly now that he made the starter criteria uh so it's 5.2 is the, the i mean i agree with you they're probably gonna pay him more but that gives them some additional leverage john and i were talking about him you know three-year deal in the high single digits might make sense for him but i have them right now with 33 million in cap space they could bump they could pull his qualifying offer which would bump his mm. cap all the way down to the minimum and actually get an extra like three and a half million bucks in cap space so they really are looking yeah. probably more at about 36 million in space right now if they really wanted to use it which you know we'll see we'll talk about that well i see and 
just to run through it, the Spurs that are on fully guaranteed contracts, the number one pick, which we presume will be Wembenyama, Keldon Johnson, and this is in order of how much salary they're getting paid, not in order of their importance to the Spurs. Keldon Johnson, Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, Kem Birch, Devin Vassell, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, and Charles Bassey. He has a fully guaranteed 2.5 mil, and then they have that non-guaranteed for Collins, and then Trey Jones and a few others that are free agents that we will discuss. So for San Antonio... They actually, for a team that was young and bad last year, they actually have a fair amount of like rotation spots spoken for with Wembenyama, Johnson, Vassell, Trey Jones, assuming he comes back, Jeremy Sohan, and then presumably they're going to give some opportunities to Brandon and Wesley as well. Still an opportunity for them to take players, you know, to use that cap space on players who can help them either via trade or via free agency. The note that I will get to before we move on is that San Antonio if if Victor Wembanyama is very good early on, which we don't know definitively for sure, then they won't have another like really strong draft pick again. I don't think that's a guarantee, but it's possibility. That's their own, at least their own. Yeah. So and they have they don't really so they could get a good pick from Toronto if their season goes haywire. It's top six protected in twenty four, um, and then they have a lottery protected pick from the Hornets that could convey as early as twenty four. But what I would be thinking about as the Spurs front office and you're evaluating both free agents and potential trade targets is who makes sense with this team moving forward. And San Antonio, again, their books are pretty clear for a long time. Like with San Antonio, it's kind of even more striking because McDermott's contract expires after this year. Devontae Graham has a light partial guarantee. Ken Birch expires. Like they basically have no money other than the Vassell extension or new contract coming into their books soon. So they don't have to be extremely judicious, but I think conceiving of the offseason as where does this player fit in two, three years from now would be a useful exercise for them. Oh, absolutely. And I think in contrast to the Rockets, in addition to because the Spurs own pick might be decent next year, we'll see. Maybe Wembyama is so good that that's not as much a, of a consideration. Uh, but yeah, the idea of basically signing anyone to a long-term deal doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Signing guys who aren't necessarily going to be part of the next great Spurs team doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think you really, before you make any moves that are big enough to affect what your team is going to be three or four years from now, unless there's just something that's too good to be true, but anything that's going to significantly impact your flexibility or anything else three, four years from now, I want to find out what kind of a player Victor Wembanyama is, what type of timeline he's going to be on. Is he a power forward? Is he a center? Does he shoot the ball as well as we hope, or does he not? Is that going to take some time? Is he going to be an isolation scoring threat, or do you need to pair him with like a really high volume? Um, score on the perimeter like we just don't as great as we think he's going to be particularly on defense and then also, you know, is he going to be able to hold up at center? Are you going to invest significant resources into putting a center next to him uh, beyond Zach uh, Zach Collins, who's making $7.7 million next year? Uh, and maybe actually could be an extension candidate at, at something hopefully reasonable around the mid-level as a start but don't finish center. So that that would be my thinking on that with that $38 million in cap space. Now, the difference between this year and past years is – you have this minimum salary where basically at the first day of the regular season, there is no advantage whatsoever and actually some disadvantages to not being at 90% of the salary cap, which is the minimum salary. So they probably need to do something, whether 
Now, maybe that's just wait until play a game of chicken with all these teams that need to get off a salary right at the start of the regular season and see what happens there. Because I think that's going to end up being like kind of a hilarious deadline for some of these teams. So that's all philosophical. I think when you think about just generally what this team needs, though, you know, I think it'd be nice to have another really good wing and they really don't have anyone at point guard or as like an attacking off the dribble shooting guard like those to me are their biggest long-term needs right now and i don't see anyone on the roster who fills either of those spots like malachi Branham's nice but i don't think he's gonna be you know we're gonna give this guy the ball and pick and roll a lot type of player it's unfortunate for san antonio that there aren't really the kind of like lottery ticket type guys in that where you could give them a deal maybe more in line with what they did with Zach Collins or Contavious Cal- or, or um, um, Kevin Porter Jr. in Houston, where it's like fully guaranteed for this year at a reasonably high number. And then it's like non-guaranteed or something else like that, partial guaranteed after that, who could be a creator like they So you could kind of roll the dice or even something like the Josh Hart weird mutual option that ended up in that deal, which now he's going to become a free agent and everything else. There isn't somebody that I see as like a real good dice roll there. I mean, you could try maybe with a Kobe White, um, who's a restricted free agent, but I think you could put together an offer sheet that San Antonio wouldn't deal with. Like there are guys, especially on the restricted line, that I like this year. Austin Reeves is one of those. Cam Johnson, of course, yeah, brought up this before. would be the team that would actually make the most sense with Austin Reeves because if the Lakers match the deal, then it's not the end of the Particularly also because Austin Reeves, he's he's such a good mix of on and off ball like he can do a little bit of attacking but doesn't require it where Reeves I think it's pretty clear that unless Trey Jones takes big steps towards he's not the answer for them as the like backcourt yeah. star you, you pay him but, third third guard right. money back up guard guard money. Money. Yeah. but what why I love Austin Reeves for them is because he's not the guy but he makes sense next to almost any conception any form that that player would take so if it's a bigger guard or even a wing, great. You can play Austin Reeves. You can defend different positions. You can play off the ball. If it's a straight one, that can work too. We saw him play, you know, the two at, on the Lakers. And so you pay him. You Usually I say you solve the more important questions first. San Antonio doesn't have that luxury, even though they got the number one pick in the draft and one beyond was going to solve a lot of their problems, hopefully. And so you get a guy who makes sense. And like, incidentally, a few years ago, Fred Van Vliet was this kind of guy for me too, where you, and Reeves is only a few years younger than Van Vliet, but makes sense next to the other player. San Antonio has a couple of years to figure that out and paying Austin Reeves, even if it gets up to 20 million or even a little bit above that a year, not that big a deal for them. No, and they, they could just distribute that out uh, uh if they wouldn't have be beholden to the mid-level exception mid-level exception max max structure that the lakers would because since they have cap space they could just distribute the entire salary over four years but uh i would certainly like kick the tires on chris paul at age 38 i mean if he gets waived they probably could outbid anybody any other reasonable suitor i don't know exactly what he wants but if and i mean it could also just be the type of thing where he comes there gets paid more than anyone else is going to be able to pay him and then he could just get moved at some point too and you could gain something for him that way i think we'll see that as a common tactic of guys yeah i'll give another two theories for chris paul so one is if you depending on the terms of the contract like you could trade him the other one is you can have it as an 
an understanding that you're going like, you know, unless the season goes super well, you're going to buy him out. And if Chris Paul gets waived before the season, then those restrictions that are in play about, oh, the guy makes too much money. Those don't apply to him. So he could you could basically say you get a half a season here. We're not going to push you too hard, but we want to organize the team, help evaluate guys like Wembenyama and Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson. And then if we're not in contention for whatever, you can even like basically set the terms. Then you can go pick your team and you're not there the whole season, but you kind of got to be on a version of, you know, autopilot. Well, I think they would want him to be invested and be, you know, provide you the level of leadership. But uh, the other thing, of course, that they could do, especially in our trying economic times with the new CBA, is just simply try to rent out their cap space and take on assorted bloatware, the likes of Davis Bertans. Or, you know, I I wouldn't want to do it, though, for like a Jordan Poole. To me, door number two is more interesting than a guy who's just starting a four year deal at 30 million. That's not the sort of guy. But for teams that just desperately need to reduce the tax bill that have a guy who's got a year or two left on their deal uh, i would absolutely be willing to take on someone i mean they could even maybe go like if let's say james harden left and philly wanted to like really remake their team they could probably take on tobias harris for example and then philly could have like 40 million dollars in cap space if they want or, or create a giant trade exception that you would construct it as a three-team deal you'd give daryl morey that tool to work with right so that that's I mean, I think if I had to guess what happens, maybe it's kind of low level restricted free agent opportunity. I think the the guy on the board who would make the absolute most sense for them is Grant Williams, who's only 24. And I, I think as a guy who could potentially close games next to Victor, shoot the ball, hopefully guard the other team's center. And so Victor could just hang out on the back line and not have to get bludgeoned by some of these bigger centers like that. That would make a lot of sense too. And, and Williams is young enough that he could really grow with the team, but he's also not going to make you like too good too early or really kind of mess up what your team is trying to be or anything like he's a good good team player good pro like doesn't really take anything off the table so he would be someone i certainly would target and i would be willing to overpay a little bit for him because i like his fit with victor early on you know something that i'd be willing to go something in the 16 million per season range for him because they're not at the point where overpaying by like two or three million matters it's did you just add this 30 million dollar contract for that goes out for four years like that's the type of move i'm trying to avoid if i'm a couple other more flyery type players that I think could be worth considering for the Spurs. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who had had a nice year with Minnesota. I, yeah. I don't think he's you kind of to... the same guy as Trey Jones in some ways to me. I, I think that he has a little bit more off ball game. And I, I liked his defense. He showed, yeah. showed something there, too. Yeah. So he I shoots think it better. Like he's better than yeah. Trey Jones, I think, although Just maybe not. Having, it, yeah. having a couple bites at that apple, if the cost isn't too high, I think he could be a nice little fit for them. Um <sighs> Maybe someone I would consider uh, as a second draft guy who I don't think is going to be back in New Orleans would be Jackson Hayes. Hmm. He could be interesting. Maybe he could possibly play next to Victor or just, uh, again, like the kind of flyer, maybe more than he could get. Kind of similar style contract, but maybe a little bit less to what Mo Bamba got last year where, you know, kind of seven million non-guaranteed second year that type of thing um i I think we're once we get to jackson hayes so we're probably 
scraping the bottom of the barrel too much um i guess the only other thing i might consider too danny particularly given their medical staff uh, although don't ask Kawhi Leonard about that uh i might try to see about acquiring jonathan isaac and maybe give up kind of one of these shittier firsts to do that like their salary structure can handle him at 17 million the next couple of years sure um one other thing i'll note is that if miami does one of these big swings i wouldn't be surprised at all to see san antonio as a facilitator in that like let's say kyle lowry is a part of that trade san antonio could use him for a year or three quarters of a year whatever yeah you know he, he would be a a decent fit there and then again maybe they could move him at the deadline for someone else who makes even more salary for longer and just continue to uh, play that game where they help teams out and continue to pick up assets and, uh one yeah. more to throw at you for for them would you consider gary trent jr no i think they between branham like i, I think they like branham is kind of like the new gary uh gary trent jr i like I, they don't need just like some volume range guy that doesn't do a lot for me the, those you can find those guys that's i think he would cost a little bit too much um one other yeah. thing I'll just throw out there, I don't have a target in mind for San Antonio, but they actually do have more draft resources than some may think. And they their, their buying time could be a year from now. It could even be two, potentially. But co- coalescing some of these things, you know, they have these their own picks, but they also have these picks from Charlotte and Toronto. And then they have a first from Chicago, which could convey as early as 25. That's le- It's lighter than lottery protected. It's 10 or 8, depending on the year. And try to to put something together there for and for um and then uh, that's right they also have the with the pick that i said is the single most valuable um out uh, outstanding obligation which was that 27 atlanta pick for when you've identified who you what you want next to vic like the second or third best player on the spurs i think you wait a year to do it but i want to kind of put a pin in it because there might be some players that kind of shake loose on the market at any point in time who could be that guy and san antonio should be calling even if it seems a little bit weird yeah that's a good that's a good point uh but yeah again i just i want to see what victor is uh is going to be i think they're going to ease him in particularly considering that he's played he still actually just got eliminated today in the french league and then he's going to go right into french national team duties and then isn't going to get much time off after that so i would be i think they're going to take him take it very slow with him another reason i think we might get a slow build i would i do think too they just need to generally they didn't really have like vets on this team like a, a return of danny green might actually make some sense a former spurs stalwart i think actually joe ingles could be another guy they could look at as well just you know shoot run some pick and roll doesn't really matter that he doesn't defend that much but just give you some stability and then hey we'll move you to a contender at the end of the season if needed um george niang would be another guy who might be kind of interesting although between colin sohan and Wembenyama, they're probably pretty filled up at those front court spots all right i think we're done here and that will do it for this week got you a nice i think seven episodes this week we had an nba <laughs> champion what were you gonna say nothing okay yeah i mean you wouldn't want to interrupt my brilliant close to the program i'm so good at these all right well that was brilliant enough we'll talk to y'all next week at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.